Thank you very much, ladies. That was a blessing. And uh, good morning, Riverside Baptist Church. It's a blessing to be back here again. Um, we were uh, driving across town, I think it was uh, Friday evening maybe, and uh, knowing that uh, I was going to be preaching on Sunday, had the family in the car, I was bringing my wife over uh, to drop her off, and one of my kids said, Dad, is, uh, is this your second favorite church to preach at? And I didn't even have to think about it. It is. This is like a home away from home to us, and you're always so good to us. It's just a blessing to be here. And um, um, if you're a visitor today, can I encourage you, please come back, hear, hear your pastor preach. He is a tremendous preacher of the Word of God, and you need to, you need to come back and hear Brother Marshall preach. Uh, but I'm also excited about the business we have today of getting into the Word of God and trusting God to speak to our hearts uh, this morning. I want to preach a little bit about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, and uh, I know some of you might be thinking, Brother Decker, you missed it. That was last Sunday. That, that We already passed that. That's already done. But I just kind of thought this, since he's still alive today, then I'll just go ahead and preach about the resurrection as well. A lot of people don't realize that Christians don't need a holiday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God's children have been celebrating the resurrection on the first day of the week ever since the first day of the week that he came out of that tomb. Uh, they've been assembling together, and that's why we come together on Sunday. Uh, Sunday has never biblically been the Sabbath day. Uh, that, that was a change made hundreds of years ago. Uh, it was never made thousands of years ago by the one who made the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day, and it's the Lord's day because this is the day that He came out of that tomb, and uh, He's a living Savior, and I'm so thankful for that. And so I do want to preach on the significance of the resurrection. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 8, if you would please, this morning, Mark chapter 8. And if you wouldn't mind to hold a finger there or uh, use the ribbon in your Bible or whatever you want to use, uh, and turn also to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 8. And Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're just going to read one verse here, and then we're going to depart from it completely. And if God helps me and I've got the presence of mind, we're going to come back to it uh, later in the message. But I just want to kind of lay this out here as some groundwork to where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. The author writing to the Hebrews said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 8. Hang on to that verse in your mind. You might even hang on to that passage with a marker. We might turn back there. But turn to Mark chapter 8 with me, if you would, please. The Bible says in verse 27 of Mark chapter 8, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, 
And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Let's pray this morning because of a certainty nothing can be accomplished without the help of God. So let's, let's pray and ask for His help. Lord, I do need Your help to uh, preach this morning, to communicate what thus saith the Lord. And Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what You've revealed. And Lord, I pray that You'd make it very real to us in our hearts and minds this morning and have a great liberty to speak to us as we need to hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> In this passage, Jesus has called his disciples, and he's, uh, they've already witnessed some miracles. They've already seen some incredible things. They've already heard some lessons that he's taught. And now as they're walking, as they're moving along, um, the Bible even says uh, in, in verse number 27, and by the way, he asked his disciples and so get this in your mind, they're out, and Jesus is going about the earthly ministry, his disciples are traveling with him, they're following along, and as they're going along, Jesus turns to them, and it's almost as if he says, by the way, I know the phrase is in there, but by the way, who, whom do men say that I am? In other words, as you're, as you're mingling amongst the people that are coming and hearing me teach, and people that are seeing the miracles and things like this, when people are talking, who do they say that I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist. Now, it's an interesting thing that people would think that he's John the Baptist because we know from other scriptures that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one who was promised to come before leading the way of the Messiah. We know that he preached a message of repentance and to prepare the way to the kingdom he had also been arrested for saying that Herod was in sin for the way he took to himself his brother's wife, and then uh, later on he's beheaded. And even after John was beheaded, people still said that they believed that Jesus was John the Baptist back from the dead, that John the Baptist had resurrected and that he was now in the form of Jesus teaching. And, and so there were some people that believed that that Jesus Christ was actually John the Baptist. And they said, but there's others that believe that you're Elijah. Elias is what they call him here in Mark, but they're talking about Elijah. There's some people that believe you're Elijah. And they had grounds for maybe believing that because the Bible had said one of the last things that God had communicated before 400 years of silence until an angel showed up to Mary, um, there, there was... Uh, there was the communication that 
one of the next things that they would see was one who would come in the spirit of Elijah. So they were waiting for somebody to come in the spirit of Elijah. And I believe that that person was John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, Jesus even confirmed about John the Baptist. He said, this is Elijah, which was for to come. There's some similarities between the spirit and manner in which Elijah carried out his ministry and the way John the Baptist carried out his. But there were some people that believed that Jesus was Elijah. And then there were others that just said, well, he's one of the other prophets. We, we don't know exactly who. This is kind of a catch-all group, you know. The non-committals. They don't want to commit to one particular name. But uh, he's, he's one of the other prophets, they said. And so Jesus then looks at his disciples and he says, but whom do you say that I am? Leave it to Peter to be the first one to open his mouth. Peter was always the first one to open his mouth. And Peter speaks up and he says, I believe that thou art the Christ. And Jesus says something interesting here. Uh, For once, I might point this out for, for one brief moment, Peter was right. It's kind of astounding. Now he's going to ruin it within seconds. Don't, don't, don't worry about Peter. I mean, his foot does not stay out of his mouth very long at all. He says something that's right, and Jesus says this, don't tell anybody. Now that doesn't sound right, because we live in this day where we're under this command of Jesus Christ to go and tell everybody, to preach the gospel to all people. But in the time in which Jesus Christ was personally on earth, then people needed to hear Jesus' teaching. They needed to be aware of His miracles. There was some certain revelation that they needed to receive that wasn't just going to come from, uh, from the disciples and their own words. And later He's going to send them out. But right now He said, look, It's not your job right now to tell that. Why? Because I'm here. And I'm going to be doing some things openly that people are going to have to receive or reject. So there's a different manner in which the gospel is going out here. The gospel lived among them. The gospel was in their presence. Later on, Peter's going to write in 2 Peter, and he's going to talk about uh, whom are, uh, and John's going to write it in, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 1, whom our hands have handled. Uh, Peter said we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Well, i got to tell you, I'm not an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. My hands have never handled Him. We live in a different time. That doesn't mean He's less true. It doesn't mean He's less real. But it's a different time. And so Jesus said, don't tell anybody. But what He began to teach them was this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He would be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, that He would be killed, and that three days later, He would rise again from the grave. Now we might ask ourselves this, Jesus made some statements and promises here that He set out openly before His disciples for them to respond to. Now the only response that Jesus was looking for, 
hoping for, wanting from his disciples when he made these statements and promises was this, acceptance. He wanted them to believe that they were true. Jesus made statements and promises and set them forth openly for men to either accept them as truth or reject them. That's what he did. Well, you say, well, the disciples, I mean, they believed what Jesus said. Well, hang on just a second. Not at first. They didn't. They didn't accept him. Well, preacher, how do you know that? Because the night he was arrested and the things that he taught them were about to reach their, fu- their fruition, they all scattered. They didn't act like men that believed that it was happening as he said it was happening. Furthermore, when he rose again the third day, there were no disciples waiting outside of that tomb to see their Lord face to face once again. They were hiding in an upper room out of fear of the, of the mob that was in Jerusalem and out of fear of the Jews and the chief priests and the, the leaders of that day. They weren't waiting as if they believed what Jesus said. There were women that went to the tomb who also followed Him and heard these words. And they went to the tomb that morning with spices. This was not to brighten the day of a living Savior. This was anoint to anoint the body of a dead man. And yet, throughout His ministry, Jesus made statements and promises and developed them openly for men to either accept or reject. To accept them, to believe them to be true, meant that these statements would form the foundation for how a person would believe, how a person would think, and how a person would behave. Because the statements and promises that Jesus made affect every aspect of this life and the next. As a matter of fact, these statements would be considered a body of truth that in other places in the New Testament would be called the faith. Now sometimes we think of faith in the terms of the act of believing or accepting something to be true, and that is accurate. And other times in the New Testament, the word faith is used as a noun describing a body of truth, a collection of statements and promises that are the truth, and this is the faith. In other words, one is believing, the other is what is being believed. So this word faith has been adapted by the general public today. So that faith is, the word faith is just kind of thrown around, and as a matter of fact, In society today, we rarely hear the word faith anymore talking about a body of truth, but rather we hear a reference to faiths, plural. Because the society and culture around us today recognizes that there are multiple bodies of truth. There are multiple uh, foundational statements and promises that have been made by different individuals throughout history that have, that have comprised different bodies of truths 
that people believe, that people accept to be true. And in every case somebody puts their faith in a faith, it becomes the foundation for the way they think and the way they behave. There are people that are applauded today for being a person of faith, regardless of what body of truth they've accepted. They're heralded as being an individual of faith. There are some that say that it doesn't matter what faith you accept or you believe, as long as you believe in something. That's ridiculous because not everything can be true. I'm saying despite popular belief, there is absolute truth. You see, there can be faiths, and there is faiths, but there can only be one the faith. Only one of them can be true. They all say different things. They, they all make different promises. They all make different claims, and they can't all be true. There can only be one faith. And what Jesus was doing in His earthly ministry in chapter 8 was He was making statements and promises and developing them openly for people to accept or reject. He was, listen carefully, authoring a faith. He was authoring a faith. As a matter of fact, look with me in Mark chapter 10, if you wouldn't mind. It should be just a, a page turn or two. Mark chapter 10, verse number 32. <clears throat> Mark 10, 32 says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. Now, remember, last time it was by the way. This time the disciples are in the way. I'll let you study that out for yourself, but I find the language of our King James Bible very interesting there because if you read this passage, I mean, literally, they're in the way. But the Bible says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid, and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. What's he doing? Well, it sounds to me like he's making statements and promises openly to His disciples, for them to accept or reject as truth, and whether or not they accept it as truth will determine how they think and how they behave in the moments coming. So He's laying it out there. Well, what's He doing? He's authoring a faith. And to be perfectly reasonable about this, we know according to John's Gospel in John chapter 1 that Jesus' life did not begin at His earthly ministry. It did not begin at His birth in Bethlehem. 
He said that He was the Word and that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So watch this. The Word has actually been making statements and promises to and for mankind for thousands of years before He ever shows up in Bethlehem whereby He is authoring a faith by making statements and promises and developing them openly for people to accept or reject. And whether they accept or reject them will determine how they think and how they behave. Is everybody with me so far? And some of these statements and promises had everything to do with the promise that He made to His disciples twice already in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 and chapter 10, that He would die and three days later He would rise again. But that's not the first time He ever made that promise. You realize that Jesus had already made that promise multiple times in the Old Testament. Before they ever thought that the Messiah would die on an old rugged cross, His resurrection was already being prophesied. For sake of time, you don't have to turn there. You're welcome to. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to a couple passages and just read when I get there. But Psalm 16, Psalm 16, verses uh, 8 through 10, he says this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. Pardon me. And my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, capital letters, to see corruption. Already in the Old Testament, the resurrection of the holy one is being prophesied. Psalm 49, Psalm 49 and verse number 15, uh, it says this, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me. Uh, a, a psalm for the sons of Korah right there, prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my favorites, one of my favorites is in Job chapter 19, where Job says, For I know my Redeemer liveth. <laughs> he said, I know my Redeemer liveth and that I will see Him again in the last days. He said, my eyes will behold Him and not another. Even though worms have destroyed my flesh, is what He said, yet in my flesh, I will see God. He, and He made that promise of a resurrection. Guess what? There's no resurrection for any human being uh, dead or alive, Old Testament or New Testament time period without a resurrection of the first fruits of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, the Savior. So, the Old Testament was already making those promises. And let's just be honest about this this morning, that the promise of Christ's resurrection was not the only promise He made. Like when He said, to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Go read John 14, 15, and 16. It's a treasure trove of promises that Jesus made to the disciples. And you say, yeah, I know, but that was to the disciples and not to us. Well, hang on just a second. These promises that He made were unto the end of the world. And the disciples didn't live to the end of the world. So He must have had somebody in mind beyond the lives of the disciples who are dead and in the ground today. Like maybe us today, to whom He still promises to send the Comforter who will live in us, who will guide us into all truth, who will never leave us nor forsake us. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm just saying, Jesus is the author of statements and promises developed openly for us to receive or reject. But I'm telling you, whether you receive them or reject them will affect the way you think and the way you behave. That's what a faith does. So Jesus is, in fact, the author of a faith. Now, I said that like I wanted to, and you can correct my articles later on if you need to, but you won't have to when you hear what I have to say. Jesus is not the only author of a faith. It's really not that hard to author a faith. In order to author a faith, all you have to do is make statements and promises and put them out there openly for people to receive or reject. I'm just telling you the truth. Anybody can be an author of a faith and there are a lot of authors of faiths in history. In the 600s A.D., There was a man named Muhammad who is the author of a faith. He authored the Islamic faith. What did he do? Well, he made statements and promises and he wrote them down in a book called the Quran and he developed them openly for people to receive or reject and therefore we have the Muslim faith today that is based upon the teachings of a man named Muhammad who was the author of a faith. A body of statements and promises for people to believe or reject. So, Muhammad's an author of a faith. Um, Buddha. Now, there really was a guy named Buddha. I don't know what he weighed. But there was a guy named Buddha. And he was the author of a faith. A, a, a faith that taught that... that What you do is you basically live life in some existence on this earth and you try to get better and better about it every time you redo it. And so you just keep coming back and every time you come back, you just try to do better and better. No, it doesn't make any difference that you don't have any memory of the former uh, mistakes and all that kind of stuff. But it's just kind of built into this developmental process until eventually you become a monk and then after you die as a monk you go into nirvana which in in our western culture 
and how they've, how they've so uh, turned the tide of Eastern religions. They make nirvana like heaven or paradise or something like that. According to Buddha, nirvana was nothing. Nirvana was you become one with the universe and you cease to exist. And that is the end goal of all life is to cease to exist in nirvana. Buddha authored a faith. He's the author of, this might surprise you, Buddhism. There's thousands of Hindu gurus through thousands of years that have contributed their statements and promises and deities to now a Hindu religion that has well over one million gods and goddesses who make all kinds of statements and promises about the Hindu religion. Not one faction of Hinduism ever agrees with another sect of Hinduism and they're at war and they're fighting amongst each other all the time and then the Hindus fight against the Buddhists and the Buddhists fight against the the Hindus, and then there's the Sikhs, and they come into the situation. I'm just saying that all of these faiths have one thing in common. You ready for it? They have an author. A man named Joseph Smith. Ever heard of him? Well, he wrote another testament of Jesus Christ. I am certain he was not commissioned to do this. But he met an angel named Moroni who showed him where he could dig up these golden plates. And he could read these golden plates. And on these golden plates were some promises and some statements to be developed openly for people to receive or reject And he wrote another testament of Jesus Christ to be a companion to the King James Bible called the Book of Mormon. Well, Joseph Smith didn't write the King James Bible. He wrote the Book of Mormon. But apparently you're not supposed to be able to understand the King James Bible without the Book of Mormon because there's parts in the King James Bible you can't understand until you flip over in the Book of Mormon and interpret them appropriately. And Joseph Smith became the author of the Mormon faith. There's not even a lot of people that argue that. That Joseph Smith authored the Book of Mormon and therefore he made statements and promises developing them openly for people to receive or reject. So I'm not going to stand up here this morning and say that Jesus is the only author of faith that exists. Because there's a lot of authors of faith. I remember back in the late 80s, I believe it was, early 90s, when the internet was just getting up and running. I'm talking about Prodigy. Anybody remember Prodigy? Okay, woo. AOL. Anybody remember this song? This sound? You say, it sounds like a sick donkey, preacher. Uh, And that's pretty close, actually, uh, because that's called dial-up internet. Yeah. Something that 
If you're below a certain age, you don't know what that sound is all about. Dial up internet and you get online. And somebody online decided, hey, here's what the internet needs. It needs its own religion. And there was somebody that developed the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. And some weird people made some statements and promises as a farce. But you would have been surprised how many people flocked to it. And even examined it for truth. And maybe even based their thinking and behavior upon it. Because I'm just telling you, it's not hard to author of faith. You want to know what makes the faith different than a faith? Here's where it gets all filtered out and separated. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There's a lot of authors of faiths today. There is a lot of people that have made statements and promises that other people have chosen to believe and accept as truth. But here's what separates them all. There is only one author of a faith who is also a finisher of that faith. And the only reason that he is the author can be the finisher is because he's the only one that is still alive to finish what he promised. The only one. The only one. There was a man named Alfred Ackley who was an ordained minister. And Alfred Ackley uh, had been a preacher, I believe he was in Ohio for a while, and he moved out to California and he took a church out in California, and he met a Jewish man while he was out there, and he began to witness to him, share the gospel. And as he shared the gospel of Christ with this Jewish man, the Jewish man would respond the same way every time Alfred Ackley witnessed to him. He would say, why why would I worship a dead Jew? And no matter what Brother Ackley would say to him, and, 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 and how many times he would give him the gospel, he would always just say, Why would I worship a dead Jew? And those words would just ring in his mind. And they even rang in his mind the week before Easter as he was preparing his Easter Sunday message on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he's got his message ready to go. And on Sunday morning he gets up and he's going about going around in in the house and getting some things done before church time. And as it was custom for him to do, he would flip on the radio and since he was in California, there, there were churches in uh, uh, New York and on the East Coast that would broadcast their services on the radio. And so as he was getting ready on Sunday morning, it, it, uh, a lot of the time he would flip on the radio and listen to preachers on the East Coast. And he flipped onto this broadcast on this one uh, Easter Sunday morning, and there was a very well-known preacher in New York who was very known to be a very liberal preacher. And he got up that morning and he said, it's good to have everybody here on Easter Sunday morning. And he said, he said, it matters nothing to me whether Jesus is alive today or resting in a dusty 
Palestinian grave. The important thing is that His truth is marching on. And Alfred Ackley lost his cool. He stormed all over the house. He went in there where his wife was getting ready. He said, did you hear what that good-for-nothing preacher on the radio just said? And he went through the whole thing to her, and boy, he was flustered, and he took all that frustration straight to the pulpit on Easter Sunday morning. And he preached with passion. A risen Savior. A living Savior. A Jesus Christ who is alive today, seated at the right hand of God. And that night, He came back in the evening service and He preached the resurrection of Jesus again that night. Later on that week, He was still just beside Himself. Going around the house, ranting and raving about that. Finally, His wife said, Alfred, God's given you a musical ability. If you, if you want to feel better about this thing, why don't you do what God has given you the talent to do best? Why don't you sit down and write a song about it? And he said, maybe I will. He went in his study. He got out Mark's Gospel. And over and over again, he read the account in Mark 16 of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after he had read it several times, He laid his Bible aside. He pulled out a piece of paper and a pen and he wrote these words. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. (laughs) In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of His appearing will come at last. Rejoice! Rejoice, O Christian! Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find, none other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how? I know He lives. He lives within my heart. And it's said that Alfred Ackley could never beyond that date get past the fact that Jesus Christ lived right in here. That's the difference in a risen Savior. Mohammed is buried somewhere in the ground. And he's dead today. And even though he authored statements and promises purported them to be true. He promised a death and a jihad to bring about so many virgins in the afterlife and all those things. The only problem is, who's going to finish that faith? No, it was one thing to author it, but he's dead, so who can finish it? The answer is nobody. Buddha's dead. Many of the 
Hindu gurus who have promised so much through the Hindu religion, they're dead. They can't bring to pass the things that they've promised to be. Joseph Smith is dead. He cannot make you to have spirit babies and one day rule over your own terrestrial planet and all of the things that Mormonism promises because he's dead. But there is one who authored a faith who's not just the author. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Of our faith. He gave it to us. Jesus made statements and promises. When I was five years old, I realized I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And somebody told me what Jesus promised. Somebody told me what Jesus said. And as a five-year-old boy in simple childlike faith, I said, I believe that. I accept that as truth. And it changed my life. You know why it changed my life? Because you had a cathartic moment. No. Because He's alive. And when I called upon Him, He moved in. When I called upon Him, He forgave me of my sin. When I called upon Him, He gave me the gift of eternal life. I'm telling you, the authors of the other faiths can't give you anything because they're dead. But this author of this faith finished it in me. I was accepted in the person of Jesus Christ. By God Himself, I was made together to sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the more I read God's Word, the more statements and promises that were made to me that I can build my life upon to this day because there is a finisher to the promises that have been made. Friends, I don't just have an author of a faith today. I have a finisher of a faith who made statements and promises. And He's going to make sure, because He's alive to do so, that every one of them come true. Where is the promise of His coming? You just wait. Well, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. You just wait. He said He's coming. So He's coming. Well, how do I know that for sure? Well, because he said so. Well, I know, but a lot of other people said so, and that doesn't mean that the things they said come through. I know, but he's not a lot of other people. A lot of other people haven't died and then risen again by their own power. But he has. And what he says is the truth. Well, what kind of evidence you got? Really, the only evidence that you need is what He said. But I will tell you this, if nothing else, sometime before you meet God, you're going to have to deal with this, friend. There's an empty tomb. That's a fact. There's an empty tomb. Well, I, I believe the disciples stole His body. Yeah, somebody authored that faith a long time ago. Somebody was already making that statement and paying others to make it. 
It's recorded in Scripture. But you're going to have to make up your mind, what faith am I going to believe? In which faith will I put my faith? Am I going to believe His words? Or am I going to believe everybody else's? I mean, there's some prominent people, even in our society today, that talk about religion, that talk about God, that make statements about it. I mean, my goodness, some people consider Oprah Winfrey a prophet in the, with the statements that she's made about God. You have to make up your mind. Are you going to believe Oprah? That God is light and ultimately all light comes to the light, which is God, and so it really doesn't matter how you practice religion, you know. We all get to the same place anyway. No, no, I'm saying, it's not hard to author a faith, but are you going to believe them or are you going to believe one who rose from the dead? Because that's the only way you can finish a faith in perpetuity for eternity is if death has no power over you. Well, he's the only author of any faith that death has no power over. So I'm putting my faith in his faith. In the faith. I believe it's true because it is. And how do you know it is? Because he said so. And that's all I need. That's all I need. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? <clears throat> We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. Just simply this. An opportunity to respond if God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you're a child of God this morning. You know you've trusted in Christ for salvation. You know your faith is in a living Savior today. But maybe it's been a while since you've just said, Lord, I want to thank You for telling us the truth. Thank You for giving me the truth about myself. I'm a sinner separated from You. On my way to eternal separation in hell. Thank You for giving me the truth, Lord. Thank You for telling me the truth that there's a consequence for my sin. Thank You for Jesus who took my payment, who took my death and paid the price for me so that I could have eternal life. Maybe what we need is some gratitude over the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Can I encourage you this morning? This Bible is true. This Bible has not come into our hands this morning by accident. This is a divine, inspired, preserved revelation from God Himself that is statements and promises intended for us to accept and build our life upon. And if that's not you today, then I want you to I want you, I'm encouraging you, I'm asking you to accept God's Word as the truth and believe what He says. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would work in our hearts this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge and the encouragement of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a verse of invitation.
right now, even while the song's playing, if God's spoken to you, would you come this morning? Somebody be happy to meet you here. Somebody be happy to pray with you. And they're not gonna, they're not gonna make promises to you this morning. They're gonna show you what God's promised. They're not gonna make statements to you for you to believe. Because you don't need to believe here, you don't need to leave here this morning believing in the statements or promises of any man. But you need to accept as truth the statements and promises of God Himself. Would you let God work in your heart this morning?